Thank you for joining us today. My name is Brad Miller, and this is the Chronically Human Podcast, where we have discussions aimed at creating a better world with more individual freedom and less unnecessary suffering. Today, our guest is David Marinak. He is the owner and CEO of ABC Packaging Direct, and you can find their line of products at StandUpPouches.net. David and I talk about marketing, sales, and motivation in the modern age. David is an extremely positive guy who has a lot of great information to share about finding success in life and in business. I choose to improve my health and well-being by taking Kratom, and the only Kratom I trust comes from naturalorganics.com. That's natural organics with organic spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-X.com. Use the promo code chronicallyhuman20 to get 20% off your next order. If you'd like to hear more about how I use Kratom to help manage my chronic pain and improve my overall well-being, you can reach me by email at brad at chronicallyhuman.co. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to the show, David. Good to be here, Brad. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Yep. I got your name from Daryl Bouchard with realsalt.com. He was on episode 20 here on the Chronically Human podcast, and we had a fantastic conversation about uh, the free market, about innovation, and about health and wellness, and about how businesses can be a force of good, um, not only for the people who own the business, but for employees, for customers, and the community at large. And when I asked him for a name, uh, a referral, a recommendation to have on the podcast, he gave me your name. Well, he's a good he's a good dude. Second of all, they really do believe that. I don't know if you've had a chance to follow up anything with Redmond, um, which is the parent holding company of Real Salt. Um, they are they really and truly do uh, walk the talk. Um, they they really have a philosophy, regardless of um, whether you're out in the boonies where they mine the salt, or you're in their uh, Heber City, Utah location where they actually uh, have a lot more of the marketing and the accounting and the you know the real nuts and bolts of the business. Uh, but every single one of those people there that I've met over the years, I'll tell you, Brad, really love being there. They really do support their employees. It's it's a cool it's a really cool vibe. And the more I dug into their company, the more I was impressed by that, what you're talking about. And to hear, you know, you've had boots on the ground, so to speak, there and met right. them. And I can really see how, how um, you know, through Daryl and his enthusiasm and through his attitude towards, uh, you know, life in general, that it really Correct. does infuse their products and how they, how they run their business. Well, the other thing that's cool, too, is they've, as a supplier of theirs, and I'm not blowing smoke, I mean, they really are fair. Um, they really believe in forming partnerships with their suppliers. Um, that's kind of how we met. We weren't doing any business together, and I invited him onto my podcast, ironically. And um, and then it was sort of we became friends, and it was one of those, you know, hey, come on out and see us sometime, and maybe we can work together. And um, and the more we kind of got together, the more there was a synergy of what was that we do versus um, what they do and what they need. And I just love the fact in this day and age, they really do value the partnership relationship with their suppliers, um, where it's not all a one-sided thing. You know, it's not that they save all the money and, and we, you know, we get nickel and dimed. It's just a whole different ballgame. So it's quite refreshing, to be honest. 
And that's and I think that's a, a great way to do business because my brother he runs a he owns a couple businesses and he talks about that it is a partnership that when right. you know a lot of times they'll talk about in the economy vendors or suppliers but in reality that when you work with another company and you share their values and that you're in the trenches with them so to speak that you are really right. a partner with them. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not rocket science. It's that old golden rule, you know, how do you want to be treated and treat others the way you want to be treated and and they really believe it and it's it's been a great example for us because they're they're really um, at the cutting edge of of, um, of employee recognition and um, and you know making sure that their employees have the time they need to spend with their families and somebody's sick hey let's all rally behind so and so and make sure that they're supported and do their job and all those other kind of little things it's it's not rocket science but they really do they really do walk the talk it's pretty cool that's that's great. And the partnership that you have with them, is that with your stand-up pouches? Is that correct? It is. Stand-up pouches, I'm in the packaging business. And packaging, of course, Brad, is a massive industry. You've got everything from, you know, corrugated boxes to bubble wrap to tissue paper. Um, and we really, we've always been in the packaging business almost 30 years now. But uh, back in 06, 07, we, we kind of morphed into or kind of broke off a, a branch to develop our own um, online brand, if you will, um, which was Stand Up Pouches. And Stand Up Pouches are very much what you're familiar with um, when you buy your pound of coffee or your protein powder or um, um, trail mix, whatever it may be in those pouches that you see in the grocery store. That's kind of what we started to get into. And we really did out of desperation more than anything else. Um, you know, packaging business in, in 07, 08 was, and of course, just like the entire economy here in the U.S., was really struggling. I mean, we had a lot of companies that were um, stretching out their payments or had no business paying or had no desire to pay their bills. We ran into, we really had to find a niche. And the niche we found at that time was, there were a lot of companies that wanted to sell at the up-and-coming retailers like Whole Foods or, of course, Walmart had been around. But, you know, to be able to get a product or your packaging on those store shelves, unless at the time, unless you were a Procter & Gamble or a Nestle's or the really big guys, um, you really couldn't, you couldn't compete. And then you had uh, Whole Foods, and then you had you know, Earth Fair, and you had some other smaller retailers that were accepting of, of the um, smaller brands. And these smaller brands needed packaging that could compete um, with the big boys. And what we found at the time, Brad, was a niche in the fact that they, there were very few companies here that were willing to run small volume, high quality, but very small quantity at the time, um, of these what's known as a stand-up pouch. So from there, we really sort of um, branched off on our own little target. I mean, when I say small volume, we were running, you know, 5,000 pieces, where at the time, the minimum run normally in the U.S. was about thirty or 40,000 pieces. Wow. So we really sort of branched off into a little niche um, and found a way to kind of um, eliminate competition um, but at the same time, make a couple of bucks too. So that's really the stand-up pouches in a nutshell to um, to kind of go in that direction um, for our time here. Yeah, that's great. And that that 
And we do support what we believe here at the Chronically Human podcast is that the free market is one of the greatest inventions that humankind has ever created, where basically it's about peaceful transactions, peaceful exchange between individuals, whether it's um, you know, at the company level or just between individuals uh, buying and selling things. And so the idea that you found a niche like that and you're able to innovate and take advantage of that, that it's not really stealing customers as much as creating um, a bigger pie that everybody can eventually um, not eat from, if you will. Because stand-up yeah, companies, right. yeah, they don't just affect the, the businesses that you deal with, but it's also the consumer end as well and the economy in general. Correct. Yeah, without this at the time, they're really a lot of those smaller brands, you know, they could compete on their product. You know, they had great products, but they couldn't, you know, they couldn't even stand on a store shelf next to these bigger guys because, let's face it, on a consumer or a retail level, Brad, you're dealing with about, you have about three seconds to grab that consumer's attention when they're walking down the aisle. You know, let's face it, they're looking at the packaging going like, should I pick it up or should I keep walking? And um, the fact that we were able to kind of help them get on a store shelf and be able to look at the packaging, you know, side by side with the bigger brands really brought them, you know, and elevated them onto a different level. And we were quite, you know, obviously gratified to see these products on the store shelf and be able to kind of grow from there. And you talked about going online in the 2007-2008 market. I know personally with my brother and his business, you know, that was a terrible time. You talk about people extending payments out and not wanting to pay. And I think that's a real challenge that people who don't own businesses or know somebody personally who does, that that's a huge issue with especially businesses now with terms of 90 days or even more with paying their bills. And it's not going to go away unless there's really a concerted, uh, consistent um, plan. And let me explain for a second. You know, the one of the things that I found over the years is an accountant told me this a long time ago. People won't pay their bills not because they're mean or nasty. It's just that they can't. And whatever has happened, they just can't at that time. Now, we could either decide to allow that to go on um, and eventually people take advantage of that. It's human nature. Hey, well, you know what? He's okay at 30 days. Make it 45. Well, 45 turns into 60 and 60 turns into 90. And we had to really decide as a small business um, and really had to focus that we couldn't afford to be someone's bank. And we couldn't afford to just allow those terms. So regardless of the size of the company, we had to have a strong, firm um, understanding of how we were going to handle the payment terms. And, and, and we don't, you know, and again, it's important to build the relationship. But like we, we initially said at the very beginning, it's a partnership. And I want to make sure that it's a two-way street. So when we're dealing with somebody and we're providing value on them, you know, we clearly state that we expect to be paid X. And and we're willing to work with our customers. We're willing to kind of get down there. It's not a tried and true set in, in stone, but you have to be able to, as a business owner, you have to be able to k- get that cash. If you don't have that, then you're quickly going to find yourself spinning out of control. And whether it's your brother and his businesses or, or our business, we've seen over the years 
how quickly that can just just it's not one customer now it's two now it's three now you're now you're behind now you're you're not going to make your your payment or whatever it may be for uh, the bank or whatever and it just um, it can spiral out of control so that's where you have to have kind of a tried and true kind of plan or a method to to make sure that everybody understands the the philosophy if you will definitely and the way that you guys presented yourself online at the time to to really separate yourself as a niche brand, you guys went after you produced ebooks as well that I think is a Correct. really great marketing tool as well as you did a podcast, uh, Ditch the Boxes, right. which I've listened to several yep. episodes and those those have a lot of great content in it. Well, and and you know the whole philosophy at that time, and it's still part of our niche, but at that time we. We wanted to kind of really spread the word about what it is we were able to do. And that back to that stand up pouches world where um, but a lot of people we knew and an old friend of mine, um, another guy you may want to talk about someday down the road. Um, an old friend of mine, Marcus Sheridan, uh, who's big online um, and I've met him over the years. And um, as far as he's got a company called, I believe, the Sales Lion and um, he started a company in the, um, believe it or not, in the in-ground pool business. But long and short, he started blogging to save his business. And he was in the pool business at the time. And what he started doing was he, he had a philosophy that every question, everybody has questions about your business, whether it's your business, my business, his business, whatever. And he said it's, it's, it's imperative that we take the time to listen to the questions that our customers ask and then blog about it, video about it, ebook about it, whatever we can to kind of spread the word um, about our business. So, for example, you know, we had a lot of people that would ask us, um, how many colors can I get a stand up pouch made or printed? Um, how long does it take? Um, how do you control quality? How can I get a Ziploc and a tear notch? Does that cost? What are these? All those things. There's probably about 50 to 100 questions that we just started to blog about. Um, and then we collected them into an ebook. And then we would video and do videos about those things because the whole idea for us was about educating our customers and educating people about what's possible. And at the time, so few companies had any clue that they could run small volume of a stand-up pouch. So we had to really blaze that trail and really let people know that this is even possible. Um, so a lot of that blogging and videoing and all that stuff, the podcast, was about trying to make sure that we alerted people that this is available. And then, you know, a lot of the podcast was, was about um, – it, really recognizing customers and people, and a lot of them weren't our customers on the podcast, but really recognizing um, them for what they were doing, where they were selling, how they were bootstrapping their business, all those other kind of things. And that's really, and that's where the podcast, this type of podcast is, is so cool because people do want to hear about, you know, how somebody got over a hump or survived a, a stumbling block or uh, pieced together their business or built their business or whatever. And so all those pieces parts really were part of our philosophy to, with, with educating our customers really, which was what it was, which was what the core of what we were trying to do. 
And you talk about partnerships, and that boils down to people. And these long-form conversations with your podcast that you had, you get to see the people behind the products and the principles Correct. and the ideas. And I think that, that human stories are really the new not the new capital, but the really the, the capital that can really push humanity into a positive future. When we hear more about the challenges that everybody's experienced, and then we hear the solutions, everybody can benefit from that. Well, you're, you're spot on with that. I mean, it, it is an experience. And the one thing I found over my trials um, and bumps in the road is um, is being willing to fail being willing to make mistakes. The one thing I try to teach our kids, um, and something that just came up as recently as last weekend, we told our son, who's a pitcher in high school, going to college on a baseball scholarship, who had a really, he had a tough outing last weekend. And the, 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 the feedback we gave him when he, when he was ready to talk was you're either winning or learning. Um, and it's not about losing, it's about learning. So it's, what did you learn? And that's going to be something that I believe is going to carry us forward as a society, as humanity, if you will. Um, because we love the great success stories. We love to hear the, the, you know, the people and, and they have all their things and their stuff and all that. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. But what we don't hear a lot of times is the bumps in the road and the challenges they've had and the mistakes they've made and being willing to honestly, you know, raise your hand. Yep. Screwed that one up. And here's what I learned. Yep. Made that same mistake again. Damn it. You know, this is where I'm going and and being willing to fail. And that's kind of where I want to you know, leave my mark as well as I know you do in our world of it's OK to fail. I'm not saying, you know, go and, and purposely fail. I'm just right. saying that try your best. And when things don't work out, there's a learning seed there. There's something that you can learn from. And to be able to run with that and, 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 and use that, um, that can benefit humanity and mankind going forward. And as we support each other and accept each other for making mistakes, and I don't care whether it's you know, horrible mistakes where you've lost your business and you made it, you know, whatever it may be, or you, you kind of had to bootstrap and, and make a pivot, you know, and, and, and I've done several. Supporting people through that, Brad, I think ultimately is going to help us as a, as a society, as a world, um, to be able to kind of, you know, continue to grow and, and, and prosper. Um, so few times we, we, we hear all the, you know, all the bad stuff. Oh, man, did you hear about Brad? You know what? Good for Brad. Brad's still out there kicking. Brad didn't quit. Brad didn't leave. He didn't run away. He stood tall. And, you know, those are the kind of things that I think all of us would appreciate hearing more than we are screwing around worrying about, you know, the mistakes that somebody else made. Um, Does that make any sense? I mean, that's just sort of where I where that's a philosophy that I really believe in. Exactly. And it's funny about how I think the more that you learn about anything in life, whether it's business or it's writing, I've written a couple of screenplays. Um, yeah. I was a banker for 13 years and now I'm doing podcasting, but I also watch a lot of MMA, like UFC fighting. Yeah. And yeah. one of the best fighters in the world is Conor McGregor and his coach. Yeah. He wrote a book that was all about your winning or your learning. And that was the entire philosophy of the entire book. And so that... Right. It's success. Human success really does apply to every endeavor that we do um, engage in. 
and let's not, you know, for the analogy with Conor McGregor, let's stay with that for a second because he hasn't won every fight. Exactly. He's take he's gotten his his nose busted and his lip broken and the whole bit, and he keeps standing up, and he'll own it and go, yeah, I lost that one. Yeah, tried my best. Um, you know, whether you like him as a person or not, or anything, that's not the point. The point is we're talking about at this um, juncture is the fact that he's always learning something and he's willing to try again. And that bodes so well for all of us um, who need to see that, you know, that this guy didn't quit. Yep, I screwed that one up. Yep, wasn't prepared for this fight. Yep, I made a mistake. I'll be back again tomorrow. That's it. I'm not going to quit. And that's, that's it. And we had uh, Connor um, Boyek on, and he runs the Libertas Institute in Utah. And their yep. big push this year was to get medical cannabis legalized in Utah, and so yep. that actually passed. And his grandfather yep. told him one time, he said that persistence pays pretty good dividends. So it's an acronym, yep. PPGPD, I think. Persistence nice. pays, you know, and I think that's a good lesson for everybody. And there's a lot of there's not a lot of those old school lessons and that old wisdom that's talked about a lot. And that's part of why I wanted to do the podcast is talk about the free not market principles and also talk about yeah. the things that we can do to help us suffer less unnecessarily. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I mean, what you're doing and I totally buy into it. I mean, I think it's and the more we communicate, you know, let's face it, too. This younger society, everybody's communicating with their phones. Everybody's communicating via social. We're missing out on that kind of one-on-one -on -one, um, talking to somebody, whether it's through Skype or literally on the phone with somebody, hearing their voice um, to be able to share or talk with them. We're so quick to kind of you know use the phasers on our phone um, versus having this and. Um, I'm hoping that you are right, that, you know, this is coming around again. This is something that um, we'll begin to value is just that one-on-one. Because -on -one. I think ultimately that's what's going to um, play a huge part in, in, as a society, us carrying forward. You know, I think our kids are learning that and learning the hard way, unfortunately, that the phones and social media and all that kind of stuff, that's great. That's awesome. But it's not the only way to communicate. And, you know, and you have to be able to kind of have a human conversation with somebody um, and, 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 and have that one-on-one. -on -one. And, and so few people in this generation, this younger generation, really know how to do that. So, you know, and, and we try to force our kids, Brad, to make sure, pick up the, no, pick up the phone, no, I know you want to send a note. You can follow up with a note. I get it. An email, maybe. Pick up the phone or go over there and talk to them face to face. And that's an that's a lost art, man. I, I do I do I do see that as well. I think kids. I think we've been sold a bill of goods to a certain degree about the technology age and about how it was going to end uh, in person communication and all of right. these futurists came out and talked. What are your thoughts about? You talked about going and visiting Daryl you know, at the real salt mine. And yep. what are your thoughts about business travel and the importance of actually meeting uh, partners and customers in, in person? I think that's something that still has a lot of value. Oh, it, it, you know what? It does. Not only does it have value, it's something that also has come back. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was this big movement to go to meeting and WebEx and, you know, eliminating the travel 
And that really revolutionized our business at the time and the fact that we were a small operation. I was able to um, um, negotiate and work on projects with a company that's in Saginaw, Michigan or 10 hours away and or, or 24 hours away in Oregon that I never would, would before. However, that's not the end all be all. So back to your point and your question, um, I'm finding that we also have to have that one-on-one. -on -one. I have to have time to find these people, um, whether it's meet at a trade show and have a cup of coffee, whether it's go to their factory and visit with them, uh, whether find a way to have a human experience um, with, a, with a particular person um, is coming back and is as important today um, as ever. Um, we tend to want to run away from, you know, it's easy to, for us to jump on a Skype or a, but you know what, my whole intention is the next time you and I our paths cross is to meet face to face and, and shake hands and have a coffee. Um, because I think ultimately that's how relationships are built. That's how um, we can continue on and, and grow together as human beings. Um, but Seeing people face to face without a doubt is coming around. It's got to be cost effective, though. That's the other thing I learned the hard way is, you know, we've got to be creative. Um, you know, if I'm going to be on the West Coast, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to swing through Redmond, but I'm also going to see six or seven other customers in and around that area over the next couple of days um, and make it worth the while versus see one guy and then fly back and say, that just, it doesn't make any difference, make any sense. Um, but yeah, it's not going away. I really think it's come back. I think that one-on-one -on -one human, um, experiences is definitely coming back around. And I think it's important for people to really do that. I, definitely. And I think that, uh, business travel is way up. And I think that the reason for that is exactly what you talked about is shaking people's hands, looking in the, the in the eye and actually, right. you know, inter interacting with people in the real world. Uh, how did you get into the packaging business? What got you started in this industry? It's interesting you mentioned that. I'm actually giving a speech next um, Tuesday, as a matter of fact. So I just this is so top of mind. I was asked to kind of give a background on um, on my business and my world or my life, if you will, kind of an icebreaker. And I was thinking about that as, as recently as this morning. I got into the business when I graduated from college. I went to school at um, in Bowling Green, which is outside of um, Toledo, Ohio, State University. Good school. Nothing, nothing earth shattering. Um, and um, and my first job out of college was selling steel. Now, I, I knew nothing about steel, but it, it was the first job. And, it, and I knew it was going to be a first job and I knew it wasn't going to be there forever. But in between those jobs, or that job, I should say, I was I interviewed and I was hired by a, a bigger packaging company or a big packaging company um, that sold everything to everybody. You know, so, for example, this is a national company and they sold, you know, they may sell you guys toilet paper and paper towels. The next guy, they may sell bubble wrap and boxes. The next guy, they may sell. So I got really indoctrinated into this massive industry of packaging. Um and at the time, you know, selling packaging, you can you can go a couple different ways, just like anything else. You can you can sell commodities, mm -hmm. but with commodities, you have to really, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money. You're going to basically trade pennies, if you will. And it all becomes down. It all comes down to price. And it took me a couple of years to really learn 
that in order to make a good living in that business, I needed to specialize. Mm -hmm. I needed to kind of do something different that, that not everybody else is willing to do. And for me, it was, it was trying to solve problems. It was trying to get into a, uh, a company, this is pre-internet, mind you, to be able to kind of get with them and find out where's their pain, where is their pain at this particular company, packaging related, of course. And you know, so some companies, it may be in a lead time for how long their packaging takes to get there, or some companies, it may be cost, or some people are running into a situation where their quality is really bad, or maybe the company they're currently using doesn't return phone calls or doesn't um, doesn't re re react or respond um, quick enough. So it was it was something that I needed to kind of do and find a niche, and that was really that problem solver philosophy. And and that really it wasn't the product or packaging particular that I was I was selling. It was a, it was a, it was solving a problem. So I would really and truly, Brad, I would, I would knock on your door or find a way to get into your factory, and I would really just honestly, if I'm talking to you over the phone or even face-to-face, -face, where's your pain? And you know, where's the, where are the problem areas you're having? Now, if you came back and said, oh, everything's great, you and I both know that's nonsense. Everybody's got, everybody's got a problem. Now, it may not be a big, massive, your house is on fire problem, but it may be a problem. And you'd be amazed at how quickly people will tell you, uh, again, back to your human experience, how people will tell you their pain. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness, you'll never believe my truck for this stuff was late again, and I missed my shipment to Walmart. Do you know that Walmart bills me $10,000 a day if I'm late on my shipment? Whatever it is, now it's kind of like, okay, now I'm talking to somebody. So that's really... I got into the business by default because I needed a job in between the steel business. And then it kind of morphed into learning the, the nuances or the different product types, if you will, in the packaging business. And then I started my own business back in 98 um, and then really kind of morphed into a couple of different other areas like the stand-up pouches, like some of the other heavy returnable stuff that we've done. But really, the packaging business was something that I, I stumbled into after I got out of the steel business out of college, and and it's I've kind of stuck with it ever since. Well, that's great. Now you talk about it being an icebreaker speech. Are you in Toastmasters? Is that where you're? Are you I am. On? As yes. a matter of fact, I am. So I joined. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. So um, I joined. I've always heard of and known of Toastmasters, and I've always valued. Um, the program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just like, you know, and I don't know if it's for this this podcast or another one, but our business continues to evolve. And I'm I'm at another stage in this business where I feel like I need to educate larger um, groups of people about what it is that we're able to do, not just with the stand-up pouches, but um, another segment of our business. And I'm determined to kind of get competent at speaking in public and sharing um, information with people. And, and that's, that's so top of mind because um, that's what I need to do. So I am giving my icebreaker speech next Tuesday. And I was just planning through the whole module and the whole program online uh, I have a I have a mentor and a coach to teach me these things, but I'm I'm kind of kind of excited. Um, believe it or not, um, I I'm I'm an introverted heart. 
Um, I do not like speaking in public. I'm not, I could fake it very, very well, but I don't like to do it. So I'm forcing myself to kind of get into my uncomfort zone, if you will, and or uncomfortable zone and really kind of push it out forward and kind of go from there. Did that make any sense? It does, definitely. I went through the Toastmasters program as well, and I was very impressed with not only with what they teach you, but it's also the group of people that you meet when you're in there. Right. Because these are right. all people who are trying to improve their life. They're, they're trying to improve society in some way. They're trying to get their message out. Because everybody has a story to tell. And everybody, right. I think, has something to share where, like you talk about, you had pain in your life in one area. And you found, maybe you found a solution for that. And to be able to, to tell other people about that, I think, is really powerful. And... There was a quote, I think, that I read on your website, or it was one of your podcasts, that you said that he who communicates best wins. And I, right. think, and I think that is so imperative for everything in life, that everybody is always selling, no matter if you're in business as a salesman or in your personal life. There's an right. author that I follow, uh, Grant Cardone, and he's got a book, oh, yeah. Seller yeah. Be Sold. And, you yep. know, and he talks about that everything you get in your life is actually a commission. So even your right. friendship or anything that you have, it, it's all about, um, you know, selling has gotten such a bad word in this country, you know, a lot of times. And I think there's that you talk about it's more like storytelling. It's more like sharing right. your ideas and solutions. Has to be. And it's just and it's and it's cool you mentioned that because storytelling is is really at the core of of giving a, either a good speech or communicating properly. Um, let's face it, if I sit here and try to tell you about um, how great our packaging is and how wonderful we are, that goes in one ear and out the other. However, if I'm able to relate to you in a way that, that talks to, you know, Brad, have you ever uh, purchased a pound of coffee or maybe a, a, your protein powder and um, and you, you, you finally get this bag and it's got a nice handle and you pick the five pounds up and the handle breaks. Yes. Has that ever, you know, and, and now you've got powder all over the floor or now you've just, and then you've got to go back to the store and return it. So talking in terms of a story where somebody can relate to is memorable and something people will uh, will value versus me just saying, hey, we sell the best stuff in the world and it's so great. Um, and it's telling stories that I think so few people can do properly, and those that do uh, really leave a lasting impression. They do, and that's what shapes culture and society, and I think that civilization moves forward on the quality of the stories that we're able to share, and that starts right. at the personal level and moves all the way up to the cultural level. And for Good folks that, that don't know about Toastmasters, it's an amazing program. It's been around, I believe, since the 40s or even maybe earlier than that, that teaches practical public speaking skills and you have a module a competent communicator module that you go through and uh, the first one is called icebreaker where you have to talk right. about yourself and personally i found that to be the most difficult of all the speeches well i i can i can see why because i on my end as well because it's i don't think i mean people love to talk um in a in a one-on-one -on -one basis let's face it i think we can all survive that but in front of others and people we don't necessarily know um, is a little daunting. Um, and the other cool thing about Toastmasters, which, which has impressed me, is 
It's not so much about, well, I mean, it is if you want to get good at public speaking, if you want to make it a career, and that's great, perfect. But a lot of it is also um, just having, you know, communication skills, being able to answer a question that on the fly Mm -hmm. um, you really, you know, aren't really prepared to. So instead of the, uh, we're, we're thinking our way through it, and minimizing the ahs and the ums and saying and answering the question and being able to do that competently, I think will pay huge dividends for all of us. And what's cool is that the other philosophy I've got, too, is I'm seeing so much of um, the knowledge and information from the older days kind of coming back around. For example, you know, things like Toastmasters. Um, one of the books that continues to be, um, you know, bursting at the seams is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. You know, isn't it interesting that all of these Tony Robbins and Grant Cardone and, and, and all those guys really and truly are, have their foundation based upon Think and Grow Rich and, um, um, who's the other guy? Um, Carnegie. Um, right. Oh, Dale Carnegie. Win. Yeah, how to win um, friends. And you know, and his program and all those kind of things. It's the foundation that all of these newer guys are using. So it just kind of tells me that maybe, and that's there's nothing wrong with the Grant Cardones and Tony Robbins. I think they're great, but I also really value going back to that old school stuff. And because there's a lot of nuggets in there that really are the foundation of all these modern guys. I would, I would definitely agree with that. And especially, I think there was a book called Self-Help by Samuel Johnson way back in yep. the day in like 1880s. And I think a yep. lot of the stuff goes back to him. And before that, you know, the Romans and the Greeks. And there's a lot of that ancient wisdom about virtue and about how to deal with another human being that I think, like right. you talk about, it's coming back kind of like the classics in human communication. You know, it's interesting you mentioned it. I, I was having lunch with somebody. It, we were like at a school outing or something like that with the kids. This is five, six years ago. And the, one of the guys that I met there s- sold books. I mean, like produced and published the books. Oh. So it wasn't like, a, you know, and it wasn't like a Harper Collins or one of these big names. But what he said was, um, and I never knew this. He said some of the first books that were really popular back in the late 1800s were the self-help books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never knew that. I just assumed there were something. He said, no, they had a, there was this big, huge movement, um, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s of the self-help books. And I would have never thought that that was, and I just thought that was fascinating. I, I just assumed that it started with like Napoleon Hill, but it, no, it been it been going on a lot longer, to your point. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It has been. And we had on the show Professor Deidre McCluskey. She's a economics professor from Chicago. And she travels the world talking about economics. She's a free market, um, free market yep. lady. And she talked about the rise of the bourgeois virtues, which are basically the virtues of the, uh, the middle class or the, the commercial class, as she called it. And that those really started back in the 16th and 17th century where you had people who were finally – everyday people who finally realized that they could improve their life. 
because they had wow. enough economic freedom to be able to make choices which actually mattered and they could do that over a long enough period of time to build capital and then to invest that capital into different things to improve their own life. And that, that self-help movement I think is tied directly to the rise of the respect for free market economics and, if you will, the invisible hand of Adam Smith. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, that stuff never goes old. I mean, I love hearing about all that stuff and the philosophy of your program, too, because um, I, I totally buy into that, 100%. And I think that that, that is a very cool, um, it just, it's just very cool. And I love hearing those stories. Yeah, definitely. Now, when you got first started, you talked about knocking on doors, you know, of factories and going to factories, trying to get inside. I think that cold calling is something that is so difficult to do. And it's really, I think, related to uh, getting up and talking in front of people because you're so exposed that it's, right. it feels like it's you against the world kind of uh, a dynamic. How did you? How do you view cold calling, and do you still do that today? You know what? It's never going to go away. I still will cold call, um, and, and I remember distinctly there was a period of time um, when I was when I was working for the for the national packaging company. And um, and I knew that I needed to survive. I wasn't going to be that guy that was going to keep changing jobs to try to find um, lightning in a bottle or hit the lottery. So I needed to kind of have that one on one with myself to say, I need to get good at this. This cold calling is something I need to get good at. And uh, and I remember I took a yellow legal pad and I'm still a big fan of yellow legal pads and write down company names and phone numbers. Now, again, this is pre-Internet. Mm -hmm. And I would take a roll of quarters. And at the time, I would go to the gas station or wherever I was at. And they would have the pay phones that were at the car level, at the window level of your car. So I could pull into a gas station and literally park it there for a half hour, making call after call after call of local businesses there. So if anybody answered the phone, Brad, or if somebody said, yeah, that's interesting. Great. I'll be right there. Um, that's kind of how we did it. And I remember um, I got good at just asking people about themselves. Um, I found um, I to this day, I use the line, I know you don't know me from a hill of beans. And people generally kind of take that as disarming. And I said, I'm just calling because more than anything, um, I value your business and I'd love to be able to kind of introduce our business to your company. And it just just talk to people like humans. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I got really good at it. It didn't mean that I sold a ton or that I but I got in the door and um, and I was able to um really kind of once that door was open a slither i was able to kind of break it open cold calls are never going to go away um i think there's there's things now that um people can try to dodge us from you know again they live in the voicemails and right. and everything goes to you know um some sort of a a gatekeeper um but i still think we have to be prepared and willing to as salespeople, as business owners, or whatever it is, um, to be prepared to talk to somebody, um, whether it's a cold call or a face-to-face -face or in a parking lot, um, to be able to kind of clearly give your spiel in that 20, 30 seconds right out of the gate. So it's not going to go away. It never will. 
Um, but now it's uh, the, the game, the, the, the field has changed a little bit. But no, to answer your question, it's, you know, I, I still do it. I still have to do it. I think we all have to do it in one way, shape or form. And my grandfather, he, he sold vacuum cleaners for Electrolux for over 50 years. And he was uh, literally a door-to-door -door salesman, you know, that he would yep. knock on doors and do that. And I think the courage that it takes to do cold calls is so undervalued. And Deidre McCluskey, she talked about the commercial courage that people have to take those risks and, and put it out there that the folks who work maybe behind the scenes in a company and don't interface directly with sales, they might not see the value and actually the, the difficulty in that process. Oh, it's, you know, let's face it. It's a huge um, getting your teeth kicked in, figuratively, not figuratively, but, you know, Knocking on someone's door, um, selling a newspaper subscription, or um, trying to collect uh, and sell raffle tickets for your kid's baseball team, all those things is a, is a type of cold call. Mm -hmm. And to have the door closed on you or not even opened or told no um, or yelled at, um, people are weird, man. Yes. And some of the stuff and, and trying to explain and try to just kind of stay stay strong and go, wait a minute, I'm going to keep going on, you know, because right outside, and you know this as well as I do, Brad, generally right outside of the last no that you got is a yes. Right. So, you know, and to keep plugging forward, even though the last four guys have said no, you keep going forward until you get a yes and not quit, um, you know, and, and, and again, continue to learn, you know, is my saying something wrong? Am I, right. am I, is my message clear? Do they understand what I'm trying to do? Are they aware that they don't have to pay me right now? Are they aware that, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, so if you're not back to one of the first things we talked about, if you're not winning, you're learning. Right. So, you know, learning something is so key. And and it's just, it, it's just, it's so important. And so I just, yeah, it's, it's just a, oh, it's a tough, it's a tough road to hoe. And that's something that, is not taught in school. A lot of these things that actually are useful in real life, and I think selling is one of selling and storytelling are, are some of the most important aspects, and how to be a good friend as well. You know, I think a lot of times we talk about networking, that you know people say your net worth is your network, but I think in reality it's your ability to form friendships and connections in that way. And also to be able to sell in a way that you are very self-aware of yourself. You're not just having this robotic pitch every time and just hammering people with it. That you're actually, I think salesmen are some of the most self-aware people and business owners especially because they have to constantly adapt and to change and improve so they can grow their business and improve their life. You know, it's um, totally, totally agree. And, and sitting across from somebody or on the phone with somebody or whatever it may be, and I don't know where I picked this up from, but um, it works. And to sit across from somebody initially and go, Brad, before I start about me, you know, and you know a little bit about my background, how can I help you? Who can I introduce you to that maybe could benefit you? Maybe um, there's a contact I've got for a future guest on your podcast, or maybe there's a guy that I can introduce you to that sells microphones or lighting or whatever it may be, right. you know, just be thinking about ways that I could possibly help you 
um, that's very disarming. And that's very, um, uh, it's a very good way for somebody to kind of um, take that, that really level the playing field when you're having a conversation with somebody where it's, you know, with some is the buyer and you're the seller. And to be able to kind of come up and say, how can I, how can I help you? It looks like you're having a tough day. I can come back. Um, I can, you know what? We don't even have to talk about business if you don't want. We can just chat about the ball game. If it looks, you know, maybe the guy just had an argument with his wife. Maybe, um, you know, his kids are sick. I, I, I don't know. But when we talk to a human and we're able to talk to them as humans going, man, that really sucks. I'm sorry your kids have the flu. Um, you know what? You don't need to hear from me today. I'll, I'll give you a buzz next time in town. And people remember that. People value that. Um, and I think that, that you know, if I could impart that to anybody, it's, um, it, it's that human experience like you're all about. But being able to truly talk to somebody and be human, for crying out loud. You know, tell me about yourself first before I take up the rest of it. Tell me about you. I want to know about what makes you tick. And that, I think, is a lost art. And I think a lot of people don't know how to handle that. But I guarantee you I leave an impression when I start that way. I guarantee you people are like, who the hell is this guy? But I'm, but I'm honest about it. It's not fluff and it's not BS. I really, <clears throat> I really want to hear about them. Now, I know I'm not going to be best friends with them forever, and I'm certainly not going to, you know, see them, you know, um, tomorrow or whatever it is. But I'm but I'm real. And and it's those kind of little things. You know, the other thing, too, which is I'm a huge fan of, too, Brad, and so few people do it. And it's coming back is the handwritten note, mm -hmm. the handwritten hand stamp note with a with a, you know, a non machine stamp. That says, you know what, Brad? I'm grateful for us taking the time. I really enjoyed our time together. Now, you'd be amazed because so few people do it. You would be amazed at how many times, at least a dozen times over my career, I've gone back into somebody's office from 10 years ago and they still have the note wow. or a note or something that somebody took the time to write to them and, and say something that's that goes against the grain, you know? thinking of them. And I just, it's just, it doesn't take much. And it's those kind of things that leave that lasting impression that really does basically kind of bring together that whole human experience. And you talk about with your Toastmasters and going back to kind of the old school ways of saying things, what are you hoping to accomplish with that, with getting your wider message out to more people? Is it more of a, a philosophical message or is it about um, how your products can help them um, in their companies? Yeah, it's a great question. A little bit of well, actually both. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I, I look at this as a um, as two ways. One, the business side of things, because a, a, a portion or a segment of our business is really taken off and expanding. And I want to share that. The other thing, if you if you really ask me what makes me come alive, um, it's it's this. It's encouraging people. Um, and you'd be amazed. I'm 55 years old. You'd be amazed at how many people I come across with that think this is it. You get into that middle age mm -hmm. and this is it. Right. Um, Ten years. You don't have a choice to change your life. You yeah. you can't change your your the trajectory. You're, you're done. And I totally think that's nonsense. 
And, you know, there's so many people that have um, been bumped and, and kicked around. And I look at this as the next chapter. I look at this as another stepping stone to the next 20, 25 years of our lives. And I'd be foolish to sit here and, and, um, and say that it was over. And, and I want to encourage people. I want to encourage people to take chances. I want to encourage people to um, pick themselves up, dust themselves off. Um, be, uh, you know, be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I, that's what makes me come alive. Now, you know, it's, I sit here and I think about this stuff, uh, whether I'm writing and journaling in the morning or whether I'm, uh, uh, out and about it's, it's what makes me come alive. I just think, you know, I'm not, I'm not ever going to be a Tony Robbins and I'm not ever going to be a, you know, any professional along those lines. But you know what? I can encourage other people to pick themselves back up or buy them a cup of coffee when they're down or um, totally change the mojo that somebody's got that's having a really tough time. And we don't have to look very far. We see it all the time. Right. Um, you know, yes, there's human tragedy that happens throughout the world and globally. I get that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't take much to see a neighbor that's down on his luck or uh, somebody that lost their job. And, and it's a very public loss. And we've got a friend that's in the, uh, the public sector here in Cleveland that's going through a very, very tough um, situation where he's being accused of something that's, that's I don't really care. I don't even know whether it's true or not. And it's not a criminal thing. But the point is, it's a very public. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take much for somebody to reach out to him and just say, you know what, Ken, I'm thinking about you. Um, you know, I, if you want a coffee, you want to go have a beer, um, you want lunch, I'm not afraid to be seen with you. And that's where I, what makes me come alive. And that's really kind of where I want to be able to share that with other people. Uh, and who knows where that goes, Brad, right. but um, that's just something that my gut tells me. So it's a little bit of both to answer your question. Well, that's great. Now, as far as um, with your business goes, are you involved in the day-to-day -day operations? Are you there every day um, still driving the ship and making those uh, decisions? Because I think as a CEO, people don't really realize is that those thousands of decisions that you make every day stop with you. And I think that right. a lot of people who are, who've always been an employee and have not really taken those risks or taken that responsibility a lot of times, you know, if you make a mistake as an employee, well, your boss will fix it or somebody else will right. fix it. Or if you made right. a bad choice, you know, there's a buffer between um, that decision and the and the reality that uh, the consequences right. are. But as a CEO, you're much more exposed when you do make a decision like you talked about that could be a mistake. Look, everything still comes down to me. Mm -hmm. I sign the checks, mm -hmm. even though we have a CFO and some other things, let's face it, it stops with me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm fortunate that I have staff underneath me that can allow me to kind of um, handle what I need to handle from the different facets of the business. Maybe it's accounting, maybe it's sales, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's, it's these kind of things. Um, but I also have staff that can run with a project and kind of bring it to fruition. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, there's, I don't think there's ever a, um, a day that I don't care whether I'm running a 500 person, in, um, company or, um, uh, a 15, uh, employee company, everything's still going to come to somebody's desk. It's always going to stop at some place. And, um, and, and, and yes. Yeah. So to answer your question, yes, everything still kind of falls on my lap.
I gotcha. And now, how do you handle that with your employees? Do you actively um, try to motivate folks, or do you um, do you apply those same principles that you're looking to apply outside of the business within the business as well? There's a bunch of philosophies with that. I mean, <clears throat> there's a program called the Entrepreneur Operating System, or EOS, um, and there was a gentleman that wrote a book called Traction. That's all part of it. And so much of it is a philosophy of um, of having regular updates and check-ins and having regular um, conversations with your um, superior, if you will, or your direct report. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how are you doing? What's going on? How are you? Are you struggling with anything? Do you need help with something? Um, so a lot of that has to do with you know, a regular, you know, I'm in touch with pretty much everybody on a, on a regular basis throughout the company, um, whether it's directly or indirectly. I mean, what I'm doing, um, you know, between Slack and instant messaging, emails, of course, obviously text messages, uh, we're all connected no matter where in the country we are. And a lot of my staff are spread out throughout the country oh, okay. and we're all connected. Mm-hmm. So, and to be able to kind of stay in touch with those people, and have weekly check-in calls, which is what we do every Tuesday at 9.15 in the morning is we have a weekly check-in with my, my, my main direct reports so I know what's happening underneath them. Where are the problems? You know, Who's giving us an issue? Is there something I need to get involved in? If not, great, super, it's a quick call. But if I need to, you know, kind of we need to brainstorm something, then I'll, I'll sit there and go through it. Um, so it's, it's, it's really kind of a combination. It's, it's having a regular rhythm to a meeting, having a regular meeting that everyone knows come hell or high water. Uh, we're going to have that Tuesday at nine fifteen meeting. Um, but also really keeping in touch, um, on a regular basis and just knowing that, you know, if you need me, call me. Gotcha. And I think that that's important too. And I look at it this way. I was an employee most of my life, you know, and that every employee is really a CEO for their own life in a certain respect as well. And that the decisions you make do ultimately fall back on you. But within the company, you know, there is that one guy or one lady who that goes to who has to sign those checks or to make those decisions. Yeah, that's that's something that's not really talked about a lot of times that we'll talk about CEOs of these giant corporations. But I think a business owner who's also the CEO, it's a, it's a different, it's a different job. Totally. Without it, it's, it's, and it's not for everybody either, Brad. Right. And, you know, and if it's, if it's not for, you know, again, some people get into this and go, I want nothing to do with it. Um, for me, I don't know if I could ever go back to a regular job working for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that I'm so good at it or I'm super smart. It's just that this fits me. Um, I would rather run with it and be uh, have the buck stop with me mm-hmm. um, and 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 be able to kind of handle that because I know at the end of the day, if I got to work all weekend to fix it, I'll work all weekend. Go ahead. Right. Punch me in. Um, so-and-so left and all right, it looks like I got to do it. So I just know because I can always trust me mm-hmm. um, to get it done no matter what it takes. And um, and I think that people see that. And yeah. value that. And lead by example. I think that's a very Correct. important part, definitely. Now, you've mentioned a few books, like uh, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, uh, this book, yep. Traction, which I wasn't familiar with, but I'll definitely check that out. Is there any yeah, books yeah, that you... Uh, you know what? Gino Wickman, he's a good man. He's a good guy. 
Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Is there any other books that you go to for inspiration or motivation? You say you journal every morning. Do you also set a, uh, aside time each day to read, or is that like a weekly thing that you do? Oh, no, that's, you know what, there's a, um, I, I was told a long time ago, and I, and I totally believe it, that um, as we get older, um, using our brain is so critical. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I do from the, the first thing I get up and is, is in regardless of where I'm at in the world, whether it's in China visiting our factories, whether it's uh, visiting Redmond Minerals and I'm in a hotel room, is I get up about an hour before I'm supposed to do anything and I, I read, um, I journal, um, I pray. Um, I just kind of get that lays the foundation for what, what I'm doing throughout the day. Um, I, you know, it's crazy. I probably have about 15 books I read, um, on a regular basis. I mean, they're just bits and pieces, but one of the books that I, that I strongly recommend is, and I, and I love this. Um, and I found this guy because I, he, he wrote a book that was totally, really bizarre in a while. Did you remember the, and it became a movie called the legend of bagger Vance. Yeah. I remember that movie. Yeah. Okay. So it was in it. And again, the book is really, really solid. It's about golf per se, but really underneath all of that is about life. Mm-hmm. There's so many philosophies about life. So this guy's, this author's name is Stephen Pressfield and he has written a book called, and that kind of, for whatever reason, I went back and I reread the legend of Bagger Vance, because there's just a lot of um, the, the messaging is very clear. You just don't quit. You keep plugging forward. You know, even though everything's going bad, you keep going, you know, whatever. But he wrote a book called The War of Art. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not the art of war. It's the war of art. And what makes it fascinating to me that I think you and your listeners will appreciate it is it's all about the resistance we all feel. He's a writer at heart. And his whole story was it took him 20, 30 years to get a book published, to get a screenplay um, um, accepted and paid for. So this guy had odd jobs throughout the country driving trucks and, I mean, waiting tables. I mean, this guy was a struggling writer the point was, is there was this inherent resistance that we all face in, at time that says, you know what, Brad, start tomorrow. You're OK. Go, take it easy. Go ahead and take that nap on the couch. Right. You know what? Next week is a good time for you to start writing that book that you wanted to do. So though, and it's that resistance that we all fall prey to and that we all kind of and I don't know why. And he's not saying why we have it, but we do. But it's something that we all need to work through and we all need it. Now, it's not about and it was it was that core thing, whether it's you writing screenplays or me going to Toastmasters to start to tell my story. There's things that we have to face that really inherently make us scared. Mm -hmm. It's that resistance that says, better try that later. It's okay. You don't want to go out and do that now. But you know what? Well, it, it's what it is, is it's a message that we have to do it. We have to live our life's purpose. And that book, The War of Art, was just it's profound, man. 
And it's very cool because he's a very good, he's a, it's stuff that you and I can relate to. Mm -hmm. And, and I just think that all of us have that resistance that's inherent in us, um, that we have to fight through in order to get to the other side. Does that make sense? It does. Definitely. I think there is that resistance and he was out on the Joe Rogan podcast. I don't know if you watched Joe Rogan or not. Yeah. Um, And he was talking about that. That's a great episode. And that book, I highly recommend it to folks as well. the, The war of art. And you talk about that resistance when you feel that. And I think with sales, that resistance, you get maybe used to getting through that a little bit more. But everybody has that resistance in some area of their life, whether it's their health or their diet or the relationship they haven't addressed as well. Right. And I, you know, there's a something that I try to teach our kids and I try to remind myself of is it's tiny little steps, Brad. We get so... Um, caught up in trying to swing for the fences and hit a grand slam. But you know what? You win a lot of baseball games with just hitting singles. And if I can give myself a break and say, today's going to be a great day if I, you know, make three cold calls. Maybe I get through to nobody, but I've made the effort. Or I work on my icebreaker speech for Toastmasters today Um, and continue forward on that so I'm facing my fears. Or maybe you finally submit your screenplay uh, to somebody to proof it for you, and you put yourself out there. Whatever it may be, that's a little step, and that's all it takes. Because so many, myself included, especially me, um, I always think I have to make this this monumental seismic jump from point A to point P or, or you know, what? no, <laughs> it's point A to point B. Just right. make a little step. And after 30 days, of course, you've made 30 steps. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, we're so quick on that. We all want that quick fix. We all want that quick home run because um, we've seen it happen one time in our life before and we think that's the way it, it, it just, it doesn't. It doesn't work. And until I started to really accept that, mm-hmm. um, my life was always start and stop, start and stop, start yes. and stop. So for what that's worth. Me. Yeah, definitely. Is that you have these grand visions of what you want to accomplish and then you go after it and you might exceed your graphs. You might um, try too much. And that the idea of the concept of the flow state, there's a book called Flow, right. is that you want to exceed just beyond your current abilities. And that when your body and mind are engaged in that and you're striving just a little bit further, I think our machinery, our biological machinery is built for that. And then you have all those positive neurochemicals that kick in when when you're in that path. Big time. Another old book that's come around, too, that I totally forgot about that I just recently picked back up is Psycho-Cybernetics. I don't know if you know Maxwell Mark, um, Dr. Maxwell Marks. Um, you know, it's old school back there in the days of Napoleon Hill. Um, but I'll tell you, it's, it's all about our self image. It's all about, um, you know, unless we really are, um, comfortable in our own skin, unless we are very, um, you know, aware that we're going to, we're going to constantly shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, our self image and what we truly believe about ourselves. Is it possible for me to hit a grand slam? You know what, against Roger Clemens? Probably not. But you know what? Do I believe I could get up there and, and swing and take a few hacks? Yeah, I do. Now, that doesn't mean it's ever going to happen, but I'm, but uh, but my self-image is so important. And 
Psychocybernetics is one of those old school ones too. I think you, people should totally kind of circle back on it's. It's a great book. I would recommend that as well because he talks about the un unconscious or what he termed the subconscious, I believe. And I've been reading a lot oh. about Carl Jung's work and the idea yep. of individuation and about following your own path and how powerful we have. It feels like we're different people at different moments right. in time because we have the unconscious and we have all these other forces involved. And that to put a stamp on who who you want to become or who you think you are, I think is right. important at least to have a foundation for moving out into the unknown. Well, what I thought was really cool, too, is at the core for everyone's benefit who doesn't know about the book, um, Dr. Maxwell Maltz was a was a was a plastic surgeon. And this is back in the early, early days of plastic surgery. And people would come to him, obviously, in a car accident or maybe a cleft palate or something like that for surgery. But he also started getting a lot of people coming to him for um, my nose is too big or uh, my ears are too big. And he would say your ears are, you know, he would say that, you know, again, your ears are perfectly fine. It's what you've been telling yourself that, you know, so and the, the point was, is that. You know, he could go and do surgery, but a lot of times people would go, they've told themselves that their ears are too big for so many years that they actually believe it. And they can look at themselves with different ears and go, there's no change. And it was all about the self-image. It was all about the, you know, what they've been ingrained, what had been ingrained in their lives for so many years. And to be able to break through that is as simple as if we can tie our shoes was was one of the time you know and and if we if we can build upon one success that we're able to do we can we can build upon and and create that that new connection in our brain that says yes I can do that and if I'm you know if I could just tie my shoes then I can basically begin to kind of ch chart my path in a new direction because I've done something positive um, and going in that different direction. So it's it's a pretty cool book. Definitely. I'm going to reread that too because I haven't read that for a long time. But I like the idea of – because a lot of times we think that next thing is going to make us happy. That's going to fundamentally Correct. change how we feel about ourselves. But in reality, every goal that you have is going to be replaced by another goal eventually. And so being, being uncomfortable during the striving, being uncomfortable in the unknowing that exists right. when you're trying to create something new for yourself. Without a doubt, I think you you know, and it, and it's coming back around, man. I just find it so interesting that these old books are coming back around because that's the philosophy. I mean, one of the um, 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 what do you call it? The reviews or the uh, is Tony Robbins. Uh, that was one of his first books that he read. Um, and and again, whether you like him or not, he's all over the you know the 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 internet, all over the web. Um, but I found that interesting. You know, some of the key things that that he read back when he was starting his whole business was, you know, like Think and Grow Rich mm -hmm. and also Psycho-Cybernetics, which I think is pretty cool. I like to read the old books because I think they, yep. um, they don't have the modern, and to be honest with you, I think it's the Marxist type of uh, identity politics and the postmodernism, that philosophy that has crept into even those type of books. And I think the older you I 100% agree. The, the better. Are you familiar with Jordan Peterson's work at all, The 12 Rules for Life? Have you read that yet? I found that very no. helpful, very interesting that he's going back to the really old concepts like you were talking about, about the ideas that have been tried, tried and true 
um, from, you know, from the beginning of humanity, basically, based on our biology, he's a psychologist. And so, and he's a lecturer and, and I really found the book very interesting. And one of the things he talks about is that we shouldn't be in love with the knowledge that we currently have. We should be in the love of the knowledge that we don't have yet. And he's yes. like, that's, and that's exactly what you're talking about is focusing on growing and getting to the next step. You got it. And that's Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Jordan. Yeah. Dr. Jordan Peterson. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, 12 rules and he's got another I'll book. I'll get it when we're done. He's got an excellent. He's got another book called 12 more rules for life. That's going to be coming out soon. And one of those rules, which actually inspired me to do the podcast was that pick one thing and try to do the best you can on it and see what happens. And so that's kind go. of the philosophy where I'm love going with. But, I love it. But David, thank you for being on the show, man. I really appreciate your time. A lot of great information, a lot of great inspiration. And good luck with Toastmasters, man. I think that's going to pay off dividends for you in the future. And we'd love to have you back on later in the future and talk about your experience with Toastmasters, where your business is growing, and, and how you see uh, these old values coming back uh, into vogue. Man, I'll help you a hundred percent. I'm I'm happy to come back anytime. And, and remember what I said before too. Um, how can I help you? So just keep that in mind, whether it's online or offline. How can I help you? Who can I introduce you to? Um, and I, you know, and I mean that. So it's been Fantastic. a pleasure and an honor. Thank well, you. Thank you very much, David. And thank you everybody for listening today. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye bye.